The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. Welcome to our UK Vote Special. We are live from Westminster this hour. Let's take a look at your headlines. The UK general election vote gives a blistering win for Boris Johnson. The Conservatives winning a decisive majority here in the UK election in the party's most significant triumph since Margaret Thatcher's victory in 1987. It does look as though this one nation Conservative government has been given a powerful new mandate to get Brexit done. And not just to get Brexit done, but to unite this country and to take it forward and to focus on the priorities of the British people. Well, in terms of the market reaction, sterling surges over 2% on the back of these conservative gains here. Um, more positive sentiment around the idea that ultimately we are now on a path to a clear Brexit outcome, that providing some support here for risk assets. Uh, a bruising defeat for Jeremy Corbyn. The Labour leader says he will step down after his party notches its worst election performance in 84 years. I want to also make it clear that I will not lead the party in any future general election campaign. I will discuss with our party to ensure there is a process now of reflection on this result. Over in Brussels, we have European leaders welcoming the result, uh, voicing their hope that more consensus in Westminster could break the Brexit deadlock and usher in a new phase of negotiations. CNBC sources say the US and China have agreed a phase one trade deal in principle as Beijing reportedly agrees to buy $50 billion in farm products in return for tariff suspensions. It does look as though this one nation conservative government has been given a powerful new mandate. To get Brexit done. And not just to get Brexit done, but to unite this country and to take it forward and to focus on the priorities of the British people. I want to thank the people of this country for turning out to vote in a December election that we didn't want to call, but which I think has turned out to be a historic election that gives us now, in this new government, the chance to respect the democratic will of the British people, to change this country for the better, and to unleash the potential of the entire people of this country. And that is what we will now do so uh, that was uh, how Boris Johnson characterised the victory that the Conservatives are currently yeah. sitting on. Welcome to my backyard, by the way. Yeah, it's lovely out here. <laughs> it's a, yeah. all those Could you have sorted out the weather? I was going to say, all those rain dances you did for yeah. me when I've been down Abingdon over the Absolutely. autumn. Absolutely. Well, it was it was um, stinking weather in a yeah. lot of parts of the country for and, the voting. And the turnout was good, but and not as good as they morning. expected. Um, and that's the point, I think, that at some polling stations, people were queuing up. People did feel that this was a very important election. And Boris Johnson, you can hear cock 
loop there, to use an English expression, about the fact that the electorate have given him a convincing mandate now for him to move forward with his Brexit plans. 368 seats is the number that is being projected by the polls as we continue to see these results come in. Yeah, they're already at 358 or there or thereabouts. And just to put that in context for our European viewers, when uh, they deep depth of the crisis, the Tories took the whip away from 21 of their own MPs. They were significantly below 300 MPs. There are 650 in Westminster as well. So in crude math, you need somewhere in the region of 326 to have a majority. The Tories couldn't do that under Mrs May. Of course, her ill-judged uh, election in 2017 meant that they struggled. They needed DUP support. And by the way, the DUP have had a terrible night uh, over in uh, Northern Ireland as well. So that's very interesting for what's happened in that dynamic, which we'll come back to talk about later on as well. But the tour is already in the region of 358 seats this morning. Uh, we'll get to all of those points. We need to talk about the SNP as well. There are so many aspects of this election result that are interesting. And of course, being CNBC, we're going to focus a lot about what this now means for the pound and other risk assets as uh, we try and interpret how quickly the Brexit process will unfold here. Um, it does raise some very interesting questions about the future for the Labour Party as well at this point and what happens with Mr Corbyn, who's run a platform where he's tried to focus very much on social issues here in the UK, funding for the NHS, welfare payments, the state of the education system here. It would appear, judging by the result that we're seeing, a lot of those uh, campaigning uh, issues falling on deaf ears as the electorate up and down the country seem to have focused on the bigger issue of Brexit. Let's just hear from Mr Corbyn and find out what happens to him from here, even as he says he will not campaign for another election. In the election campaign, we put forward a manifesto of hope, a manifesto of unity and a manifesto that would help to right the wrongs and the injustices and inequalities that exist in this country. Brexit has so polarised and, and divided debate in this country, it has overridden so much of a normal political debate. And I recognise that has contributed to the results that the Labour Party has received. I want to also make it clear that I will not lead the party in any future general election campaign. I will discuss with our party to ensure there is a process now of reflection on this result. Well, it's very interesting you should say that because what the people who were Labour candidates who are no longer MPs are saying that it wasn't Brexit. It was the leadership, it was anti-Semitism and it was failure to actually have a cohesive set of policies on the, the, the big issues of the day. Well, look, the pound, as Jeff was mentioning, uh, having a decent run this morning. I wouldn't say stellar run. I read one piece of copy that said uh, skyrocketing higher. Well, I can tell you it's 2.4% higher because the prospect of a conservative majority has sent the pound on course well it's one of its biggest one-day gains since the 90s sterling surging again 
surging, well, just over 2% versus the dollar, hitting its highest level uh, in just over a year. The currency has also hit the highest level against the euro since July 2016. We may be able to go on to the continent for holidays again. Who Finally. knows? Who knows? But currently trading 134.73. And just to say, some of the pundits have been talking about a change of handle, i.e. 140 plus, potentially, uh, if the Tories can get over the line with a solid majority as well. But as uh, Jeff was saying, very mixed fortunes for some of the other political leaders. Mr. Corbyn will not be leading into the next election. The DUP getting a bloody nose uh, over in Northern Ireland. And also mixed fortunes for other parties, including the Liberal Democrats. Jo Swinson uh, lost her seat. That's East uh, Dumbartonshire as well. Uh, she lost that to the SNP, the jubilant Scottish National Party. She lost by 149 votes. But uh, this, despite the loss, Swinson says she's still hopeful the party uh, for the party and vowed to keep fighting for what she calls is liberal values. For millions of people in our country, these results will bring dread and dismay and people are looking for hope. I still believe that we as a country can be warm and generous, inclusive and open, and that by working together with our nearest neighbours, we can achieve so much more. Liberal Democrats will continue to stand up for these values that guide our liberal movement. There is a huge curveball ahead, potentially, and that is what's called hashtag IndieRef2, because, of course, in 2014, the once-in-a-generation Scottish independence vote uh, could come back in some measure, uh, certainly if the SNP get their way as well, because Nicola Sturgeon has had a fantastic evening as well, uh, making big gains in Scotland. The party's leader uh, said the result proved that the question of Scottish independence must return to the table. There is a mandate now to offer the people of Scotland a choice over our own future. That mandate already existed and it has been reinforced. I absolutely readily accept that not everybody who voted SNP yesterday will uh, support independence necessarily, but there is a clear desire and endorsement for the notion that Scotland should not be landed with a Boris Johnson government and ripped out of Europe against our will. We should have a choice over our own future and that mandate has to be respected. Well, let's get some views on the outcome from Anatoly Kaletsky. He is the chief economist and co-chairman of GavCal Dragonomics. Good morning, sir. Thank you very Hello. much for coming down and seeing us here. Your initial reaction? Well, it's a big surprise. It was not what the polls were suggesting or I think what the market was expecting. Uh, the market and the polls were expecting a narrow majority at best and possibly a hung parliament. But what's relevant to the markets and to your viewers, I think, you know, what, what the impact of this is going to be on the economy and financial conditions. Uh, I think, and I, I, I'm, I'm very positive about what this means for sterling or for UK assets. And that is, I think, particularly significant because I believe that Brexit as a policy is a big mistake. I think Brexit is going to do structural damage, serious structural damage to the UK economy in the long term. But for the next year or two, this creates a lot of upside for the pound, for a lot of other British assets, British property, British domestic stocks, simply because by the beginning of this year, 
the markets were discounting a far worse outcome than just the long-run damage of Brexit. They were discounting the so-called no-deal crash-out, which would have been well, a let total me, let me ask you on that. And that's not going to happen. Since, since, it's, yeah. since it will be such a large majority for yeah. the Conservatives yeah. here, is there not a risk that this brings the hard Brexiteers back to the table to urge Johnson to push for something that's more aggressive with Brussels? No, I think ironically, the fact that it's a large majority is actually an insurance against that. Had it been a very narrow majority, there was a reasonable fear that Johnson would still be in hock to the uh, so-called European Research Group, the ERG, who are the real hardliners, who are seeking not just Brexit, but a total rupture with the European Union. Now that he's got a large majority, he's got his own mandate, he is going to be able to pursue a relationship with Europe, which may or may not accord with his ideology, but is going to be in his personal interests as prime minister, so because he wants a successful economy. Given yeah. the kind of seats that the Tories have won, mm-hmm. I mean, former mining towns that, that were wiped out yeah. by, by Thatcher's policy mm-hmm. uh, against the NUM in the 1980s, well, voting concern, this is absolutely seismic. Yeah. So the Tories have to deliver for them. And, and the Prime Minister was very keen to talk about one nation Toryism That's as right. well, mm-hmm. which you're implying brings him back to the centre. So let me put it to you, a softer Brexit, one nation tourism, huge amount of spending will take place under the Conservatives as well. Surely this will galvanise the economy rather than being as damaging as you mentioned. No, I I think in the long run, you know, you can't you can't improve the structure of the economy by spending more money today. But you can make sure that for the next couple of years, there's going to be a strong economy. And I completely agree with you. In order to deliver on those new seats that he's he's now conquered in previously, you know, impassable parts of the country for the Tories, there are two things he's got to do. He's got to deliver a strong economy and he's got to get Brexit done. Now, what both of those things mean is that for the next year, he's got to do two things. He's got to ensure that there's not any kind of financial shocks or trade shocks or abrupt changes in the relationship with Europe. So you think that means a longer transition That period? means a longer transition. How long? Because we've yeah. got this 11-month time frame yeah. at the moment. You, what you're going, what, I, I know what you're going because you told us off camera. You tell the viewers. Yeah. Well, the, the, the big worry that the market had was that even if uh, Johnson won, which he now has, mm. that he has now set himself another deadline, which is December 31st next year, by which he has promised to finish the entire negotiation on a trade deal with the European Union. That is clearly impossible. Everybody in Europe is saying it's impossible. These trade deals take three, four, five years uh, to negotiate. So he has set himself this deadline. He's promised to get that de- deadline done. But in practice, he won't be able to do it. So he has a choice. Does he extend the deadline? And there is a provision in the withdrawal agreement to extend it by up to two years. In other words, until December 2022. In order to do that, he will have to break one of his promises, which was not to extend the deadline. But but this is where we get to the get Brexit done thing, because the overriding promise he's made is get Brexit done. Now, what does that mean? That means withdrawing from the European Union in January. Uh, And we're we're hearing we could see another reading of the withdrawal as soon as Friday as well. So that's very quick. But the other aspect of get Brexit done is he's got to ensure that for the next year, Europe does not continue to dominate the headlines, dominate the uh, parliamentary agenda. So he doesn't want the negotiations with Europe over the next 12 months to be the dominant factor in British life. The only way to avoid that 
is to extend the okay. transition yeah. period, and, and, which is why I'm sure it will happen. Anatoly, yeah. here, here we are again. Um, another situation where the pollsters haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. They may have got the direction right here, <laughs> but I think there may be some blushes yes. about the calls that they made. So let's take a, a look at the read across then to the United States, because we will move very quickly to begin thinking about that other major election to take place next year. What do you think this now implies for the way the Democrats should think about their strategy? Well, I think that's the other very interesting implication of this globally because everybody around the world is aware of the analogy between the Brexit referendum in, Ju in June 2016 and the Trump victory three, uh, five or six months later. Mm. I think there is now an analogy, in fact, I've talked to people in the States already tonight who see a potential analogy between the crushing defeat uh, suffered tonight by the Labour Party under the leadership of the extreme left-wing Jeremy Corbyn mm. and the potential for something similar to happen to the Democrats if they choose an extremely radical candidate for the presidency. So I think this may act as a cautionary tale for the, for the, for the Democrats mm. against selecting somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Sanders. It's been terrific catching up with you. Thanks so much for coming and it's joining us here. Um, Anatoly Kaletsky coming to us uh, from GavCal uh, Dragonomics. Um, of course, uh, there are other things going on in the world this morning, which we should catch up on. Karen, let's send it back to you in the studio. And good morning, by the way. I hope you're slightly warmer than we are here. Good morning to both of you. Uh, it is very warm in the studio. I hope you're keeping warm out there. <laughs> Chilly morning in the UK, isn't it? Funnily enough, I want to talk about two neatly packaged up presents for the market. We were just hearing the latest on the UK election. There's certainly been a hope in the market that we would have some positive news on Brexit towards an orderly exit from the European Union. That seems to be the interpretation from markets on the back of uh, this uh, fairly decent majority for the Conservatives. But the other big factor overnight, and you saw it on the trade on Wall Street yesterday, was hopes of a breakthrough on a trade deal. After all of this waiting and a countdown to phase one trade deal, there seems to be movement behind the scenes suggesting that we won't just have the avoidance of tariffs on Sunday, but a rollback of some existing tariffs that have been in place. And that is a big one for markets. So this is the reaction that you're seeing across the board. We've got a real pop taking place in the Japanese stock market today. Safe havens. Who wants a safe haven with so much good news at this stage? And that means a decline in the Japanese yen supportive for the Tokyo stock market as we spike 2.6% and above that 24,000 point handle. Hong Kong solid 2.2% on the charts. China moving higher by 40 points or 1.4%. Uh, the epicenter, if you talk about a trade war between the US and China and Shenzhen, you can see also very positive. But a lot of this starting on Wall Street yesterday. You could see records intraday yesterday for the major indices, records by the finish for the Dow, the S&P and NASDAQ, and some records also by some very trade exposed parts of the market. But we'll get into that in just a bit as we drill down to this uh, very strong risk on trade we're now seeing. Coming up on the show, our phase one deal in principle. We'll have more details with Eunice live from Beijing right after the break. Plus, uh, is it a sigh of relief? We're going to talk some more about the market reaction we're already getting. And of course, the uh, reaction from the US president to Boris Johnson's sweeping victory in the UK elections. We'll be right back, everybody. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. 
The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Looking at a fairly decent pop for Sterling this morning on the back of a Conservative majority as the vote continues to trickle in. 134.70, roughly on the charts, 2.4% higher. We have seen the highest level on pounds since mid-2018 as investors have swiftly moved back into the currency after the 131 hand we were trading at roughly before the polling began. So there has been a spike right across the charts, as you can see, also versus euro. Let's get into some of the market reaction as well, because it's not just the UK election isolation we've been talking about this morning. Risk on has coming through from a talk of a phase one deal in principle. And here's some of the very trade exposed parts of the market. And uh, these are particular names. Boeing on the back foot due to individual news about the return of one of its major aircraft. But elsewhere, clean sweep into the green. You can see the likes of Caterpillar, 1.9% high in the machinery equipment maker. Microsoft in the technology space, 1% north. Not as much on the Apple stock price as you can see. Nvidia Corp uh, running 3% and strong for some of the banks. And that was one of the other big trades on Wall Street that we saw yesterday. Financials very much back in front and claiming some of the levels that they had traded at pre-financial crisis. In terms of what we're watching on Treasury markets, uh, there was a lot of focus too on a 30-year bond auction that came to market, but the general direction was higher for yields. 1.9% north on the 10-year as a result, and the catalyst too the dollar trade. As you saw, more risk on on markets. It meant the dollar was on the bat foot, notwithstanding the fact that you had high yields. So here's the trade. As you can see, the dollar is weakening versus the Chinese currency on news of a a phase one trade deal in principle. The yen is uh, one of the casualties, a true safe haven at times of risk off. It's certainly not catching a bid this morning. This is where the dollar is strengthening. But uh, the story around the UK election, much firmer for sterling and also for euro versus the dollar on hopes of an orderly Brexit. Take you to Asian markets and it's been of note that the Japanese market is soaring back towards some of the levels we've seen since late last year. 24,000 plus the handle on the boards as you see that weakening in the Japanese currency and hopes that any clarity on trade will be positive for some of these hard hit export markets. The Hong Kong market 600 plus points in the green and firmer more than 1% in the green for the Chinese market. Shanghai and Shenzhen composite in rally mode. US futures today as we saw a lot of market reaction yesterday to hopes that there was something coming through from the White House. And this is the look at uh, the early call for markets. Topping up on the record levels that we saw in the trading session yesterday is the early suggestion based on these boards that you're witnessing now. Let's get into the detail around a phase one. CNBC sources are indicating that the US and China have reached a phase one trade deal in principle. Sources close to the talk say the agreement still needs approval from President Trump. Separate reports indicate that Beijing has pledged to increase American farm product purchases in return for tariff suspensions. Well, Eunice joins us with more around the detail. Eunice, the surprise factor here is the rollback, apparently, of existing tariffs in force, not just the avoidance of new ones. Questions, though, remain about just how much more farm product the Chinese can actually buy at this point. 
Yeah, that's a really big question and uh, is the main point right now that people here in Beijing are talking about as to whether or not President Xi Jinping at the end of the day, at the end of the day is going to accept this phase one trade deal. So uh, the way it's been explained to me by sources who are uh, close to the trade talks is that the negotiators have worked out the terms in principle. And so they would include, as you had pointed out, that the U.S. would cancel the December 15th tariffs, that the U.S. would also cut in half uh, tariffs that are that are already imposed on $360 billion worth of goods. Uh, China would end up buying as much as $50 billion worth of American agricultural and energy products in the year 2020, and that the snapback provision uh, which would allow uh, both sides to reimpose tariffs if the other uh, side wasn't um, making good on their pledge would be two-way. So there's a lot of, uh, of terms that are being discussed. And if it is confirmed, the expectation now is that some of the lower level officials, the USTR's Lighthizer and the Chinese ambassador based in, in uh, D.C. would be the ones to sign the deal as early as tonight. However, um, it looks as though uh, from various reports that President Trump has agreed uh, to uh, this to sign signing off, signing off on this deal, but that the Chinese are still uh, not quite sure what to do. Uh, there are reasons uh, to sign it, obviously, because of the uncertainty that it could lift uh, on the economy. Also, uh, the uh, rollback, uh, the tariff rollback demand um, has been addressed, at least in part. But um, from China's perspective, sticking to a hard target of $50 billion worth of goods or thereabouts is still really difficult. And one of my uh, sources in, um, um, in the government had, had actually said that the reason it's so hard is because they could potentially, and I've already gotten a lot of complaints from trading partners in Europe and Latin America, that this would be um, a reorganization of furniture on the deck, a reallocation of purchases, and that at the end of the day, China's concerned that it could be challenged at the WTO. There are a lot of other issues, too, with these, these purchases um, that uh, Beijing is worried about, the potential um, impact of how it would look if the government ends up instructing its state-owned enterprises to make these massive purchases, since the government itself doesn't actually do the buying, and how that would potentially conflict with China's policies of becoming more market-oriented. So a whole host of issues that China is considering it could, that could end up on its plate if it ends up uh, going with this phase one trade deal. We haven't even tackled those big issues of intellectual property, have we? You know, sir, thank you very much for bringing us the latest on a potential phase one trade deal. Steve, let me toss it back out to you and Jeff. Excellent, Karen. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, apparently there are other stories going on in the world, of yes. course, including potentially those tariffs. But look, here's the thing. Oh. Europeans don't want Brexit, but they don't want this interim phase either. So presumably if they want progress in either direction, they'd be quite pleased about what they saw last night. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.